0: It's an amazing test. It's going to give you tons of information. I've done it several times myself, and you're going to be thrilled with the information you get because it'll give you a program just for you. Give it a whirl.
1: Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years as she developed and refined her intuitive skills julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others now she wants to help you to grow heal and get the answers you've been longing to hear do you have a question for someone who's transitioned do you have a medical issue what about your pet's health or behavior perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and Ask Julie Ryan.
0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan Show. I'm Julie, your host, and I'm so delighted you could join us. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. Boy, do I have a treat for you this week. I'm like a groupie we got Karen White with us. Karen, welcome.
2: Thank you. It's so, so, so happy to meet you. Finally, I've heard about you for years from a mutual friend. So it's a delight. Thank you.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Well, I've been trying to figure out a way to do this for years too. and And everybody, how this all came about was I met Karen in 2017. It was 2017 you were here. In Birmingham at an author's conference called Southern Voices. Right, right. And you, I know, go to bazillions of them all over. And I met you and I gave you my card. And I said, if you ever need any help, you know, with spirits or anything, let me know. And then fast forward, your dear friend, I worked with her and her husband at the end of her husband's life. And she, after he passed, she said, oh, you got to meet my girlfriend, Karen. And I said, well, I already met her. She won't remember me, but I already met her. Oh, and uh, and here we are six years later.
2: Oh, I can't believe it's been that long. I
0: know that you were in Sweet Home, Alabama. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So I I hadn't heard of you before, but <laughs> since that time, I'm one of your biggest fans. Yeah. So I wanted to introduce you to everybody that listens and watches my show, because I think they're going to love, I don't think, I know they're going to love all your work. So everybody, let me tell you about Miss Karen. With almost 2 million books in print, 2 million, girl? Holy, Not all
2: in English, in different color.
0: Well, (laughs) that's what I'm getting ready to say in 15 different languages. I don't know that I can name 15 languages off the top of my head. Karen White is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of 32 novels, 32, that's amazing. Her intricate plot lines and compelling characters charm and captivate readers with just the right mix of family drama, mystery, intrigue, and romance. And you are my favorite author. So it's really a thrill. To have you on my show, and so, excuse me, you guys, if I seem like I'm, you know, acting like a groupie because I am. Oh. Yeah. So, you often include ghosts in your books.
2: Why? Um, I have, you know, I, I, I guess since I was very, very little, um, I've had two. Well, my first obsession that I can recall is with old houses, and of course, when you see old houses, you always think there has to be a ghost. I think in fact i know it comes from my father um my father was uh, uh born in 1932 during the height of the great depression in mississippi and they had nothing um but they always had family and they always had stories and they always um you know had their front porches and i think um and I think my father grew up with like his mother um saying that she had conversations with her grandmother while hanging the the laundry you know in in the backyard even though the his grandmother had been you know dead for years so it was something that he sort of accepted um because it was sort of normal in that atmosphere and that environment and um and, and I and I maybe I was the most receptive child uh, with because he would then you know, as as a young girl, he would um, buy like a stranger than fiction, true ghost stories and like read them to me before bedtime. <laughs> who does that? And I know he loved me, but that's like who does that to their child? <laughs> um, but I, I just was absolutely fascinated with ghosts. Did I ever want to see one? No, because I'm a scaredy cat. Like I never want to see one. Um, do I believe in them? Even though I haven't seen them, now, I have seen an orb when I was with my son and my daughter. We all saw it, uh, so I'm not. I'm not. I know I'm not imagining it. And my son has had three very real witnessed um, occurrences that he's not very happy about. But um, but yeah, it's just I'm I'm obsessed. Um, and it's and it's not like I don't like the scary. Like the the poltergeist kind of like that that wasn't what attracted me to the whole ghostly realm to me, it was somebody from the past who had a story to tell. Those are the ghost stories that um that I was always attracted to and and again my my obsession with old houses it kind of goes hand in hand because there's an old house somebody's lived there somebody's passed through there somebody might have died there and like oh they probably have this fascinating story to tell probably a mystery or murder murder or something like that you know just for bonus but wow you know that's so cool um so yeah that's why i guess in a
0: roundabout way well every time i go into a historic home and i live in the deep south like you do and And I always say, you guys got any good ghost stories? They do every time. Always. always. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that orb thing, if you can get a picture of an orb and blow it up on a, like a desktop monitor, a lot of the time you can see faces in it. Oh
2: yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've done that many times. Uh, Unfortunately, um, it was, you know, we were in a pitch dark tunnel at a, um, fort in uh, Key West uh, that had been used during the Civil War as a Union fort and, um, or it was Confederate and then the the Union took over, but um, it was so fast. And my son, my sons and daughter saw it in real life. And I was looking into my phone, getting ready to take a picture of anything we might see because it was supposed to be haunted in there. So I saw it on my screen, but by the time I hit Go! It was too late, but the three of us saw it and were like, "And my son, he's, he like, hi, see ya.'" <laughs> and my daughter and I were like, "Okay, we can stay another minute." No, no, let's go. <laughs> we left. So,
0: yeah. That well, the the good news is that what you're talking about, I consider to be spirits, because mm-hmm. a lot of the time, ghosts are are you know criminals or they're they're bad people, and all spirits are pure love. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it makes the stories more exciting when you have ghosts that are evil or spirits right. that are evil, but all spirits are pure love. So I, yeah. and I always tell people that Good and I get I get pushback sometimes
2: yeah.
0: from people and they'll say, well, that's not what I've learned. And I said, yeah, I know. But you were taught that because you were taught it by people who wanted to control the masses. And how do you control uh, the masses with fear?
1: Okay. Right. Yeah.
0: We just saw that during the pandemic. But as far as your books go, you know. The evil spirits add color, obviously. So, oh,
2: of course. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and, and my books are fiction. So, you know,
0: exactly, exactly. And I know that you love Charleston. Mm-hmm. Why do you love Charleston?
2: I, I don't know. Um, I just remember the first time I ever visited Charleston, I felt like I had come home. It was, it was a very, very strange feeling. Um, but, you know, fast forward. Two decades, and my daughter was doing our genealogy and found that we had lots of family in the Low Country, um, you know, and including uh, South Abroad, um, one on Broad Street and one on Meeting Street. Um, so, and then, and and I believe also on uh, plantations, you know, going towards the coast. But, um, you know, so. I don't know. Re- read into that what you will, but it was a very, very, very powerful feeling, and that's why when I write about Charleston, I it's it comes very naturally to me. Um, I smell the pluff mud, and I I feel like I'm at home. Um, and for those of you who don't know what pluff mud is, it is sort of the bottom, you know, the marsh when the the tide runs out and the marshes are low, and they're all just muddy and whatever. That is the pluff mud, and it has a very particular odor to it and you either love it or hate it. And I absolutely love it. Um, my husband thinks it smells like sewage <laughs> but <laughs> to each his own.
0: <laughs> what I, does he
2: know he's a banker. They know nothing.
0: Oh, I agree with you on Charleston. I feel the same way. I love Charleston. I tell people Charleston's every bit as fabulous and historic as Boston. It just has better weather and manners.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. I don't know about the weather, like in the summertime, I wouldn't say that. Um, uh, but uh, definitely better manners.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We uh, vacation there when my son, who's now 30, when he was growing up with my family and my nephews, all boys, all the grandkids were boys. Wow. And we used to go on the ghost tours oh, in yeah. Charleston. Now, Every this
2: time is... I still go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this was 20 years ago. And they'd give him this little device that looked like a Roku or a or a little small remote control thing, and it was supposed to detect the ghosts. Uh, And those little boys would love carrying those things around, and they'd wait for it. And then halfway through the tour, they'd set them off. I'm sure there was some special button or something that would set them off. Uh, They still talk about it.
2: That's amazing.
0: It's hilarious. Yeah. Well, and your success is proof that People like to read about paranormal activities along with everything else. Did you get any pushback from your publishers or your editors about that when you were first including those into your stories?
2: Not at all, which is really strange. So, um, I had written a number of just uh, single title books, not uh, um, there might be a nod to a spirit or to something woo woo, um, but but my books were never about that. So I guess I didn't bother my, you know, they didn't have to put it on the back cover or whatever. And I was getting a following. So what were they, you know, they weren't going to complain. And I'd written, I can't remember how many of, you know, just my single title books before the idea for uh, the first, uh, the house on trad street, my first uh, paranormal. And I don't call them paranormal series because there are ghosts, but the, the, the ability to communicate with spirits is just, Part of the main character um, it 's always about the main character and her journey and her relationships with family and friends and her life uh, her life 's journey basically and then the the seeing ghost is just sort of a peripheral part of her personality um, but yeah, so when you know the the character of melanie middleton in the in the house on Trad Street uh, came to me while taking a shower. Um, I didn't know anything about this woman, and she just sort of like slapped me upside the head. And she was fully formed. I knew she was OCD. <laughs> I knew. Um, uh, I knew she was a realtor, and I knew she specialized in old houses. And I knew she hated old houses because old houses always came with an elderly or a, or a, a spirit who um, uh, who needed her help in finishing up their business. And she wanted nothing to do with it. So, um, and I knew she was going to be quirky. (laughs) And um, I had no idea how quirky. And then I just wrote, started writing um, the series. Again, it was originally supposed to be in New Orleans. And then I had to move it to Charleston because when I first came up with this idea, it was 2005. um, And that was the year of Katrina. um, And I knew I had to sort of, you know, pivot a little bit in terms of setting but, um, you know, so I, 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 I sent like the few first few chapters to my agent. I said, this is kind of different from what I'm writing. Do you think this is, you know, do you think this is marketable? She's like, she's like, I don't know if it's marketable, but it's really good. Let me send it to Cindy, my publisher. And she actually, cause we weren't sure that uh, my current publisher Penguin was going to, um, uh, pick it up. So she sent it to other uh, publishers and they were like, I don't know, you know, is, uh, we don't know what this is. And, um, but my editor at Penguin was very enthusiastic about it and um, said, yes, but what was so funny, they only wanted two books. I originally thought it was going to be a trilogy. And then they were like, no, you know, we don't know how this is going to do. But after the House on Trad Street came out and um, it would, readers showed it so much love. It was wonderful. Um, you know, then I, while I was working on the second book, I got the phone call saying that they wanted, they actually wanted four of them. And then when I finished the fourth one, they were like, well, can you do three more? (laughs) So in case you're wondering why that, why the series now has seven books (laughs) instead of just two. Um, but yeah, so, so I think it was sort of, we, we, none of us knew what this was. And like I say, I, and, and, and initially when they first bought the book, they were thinking we need to change her name because, you know, Karen White books are Southern women's fiction and this is, you know, different. But when I finished the book and turned it in, everybody agreed, this is still very much a Karen White book. You just have that added element of the main character being able to communicate with spirit. So, um, so that that was a lucky thing for me, because readers who discover the Trad Street series, or in this case, the Royal Street series now, um they want to, you know, read other books of mine. And so there's been this lovely crossover audience, which I'm very, very grateful for, um because they just enjoy my voice, you know, regardless of what I'm writing about. So um, so it's been been very positive
0: well they're they're just amazing they all have mysteries they all have historic stuff they all have historic old houses. homes old houses and um wonderful romance plot lines and and of course there are some villains thrown in there for good measure and i learn stuff i i, I learn historic stuff yeah. every time i read your books as well so they're they're just terrific thank you when i am traveling especially because you're my favorite author you're my favorite historic novel author you're my favorite author period Thank you. i've read many many of your books multiple times and <laughs> i normally purchase both the audio and the kindle version oh, the digital version guilty.
2: i do the paper and the audio just because you know just because
0: you know, well, you be- we can, well from a time standpoint and- yeah yeah, or if I'm on a plane, I'm reading my Kindle mm-hmm. and then when I'm getting dressed in the morning or I'm on a walk or something, I'm Me listening too. to the audio book right. and then I'm looking where I, I am it. on the audio book <laughs> and then I'm I going
2: back to the My husband doesn't get it. He's like, Do you really need like multiple copies of the I'm like, Yeah, absolutely I do. Yes.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing. So when you start a book, do you have a hook in mind when you start it?
2: Not always um, it's really interesting the way I write. And that's why when, when I'm asked by teachers to come speak to their creative writing classes, I'm like, no, because everything that you've taught them about the right way of writing, I do it completely wrong. And you probably don't want me speaking to your students. Um, I start with my main protagonist. Um, I usually know her name because I need to think of her as a real person. And, and let me tell you the names just pop into my head like they are fully named they are real people to me right from the get-go and um and I I picked the setting because setting to me is much of a is as much of a character as the actual characters are so setting is very important and I love the south it's what I know my parents were both born and raised in Mississippi and um And and that's what I know, and that's what I want to write about. And and plus, you know, Southerners we're such a quirky group, and people like reading about quirky people. And um, so I always, you know, so the setting, like, what's this? What's the city? What what's the town? What's the where do they live? What what house do they live in? Um, And then I and then to create the plot, I think of the main character and what her inner and outer, external conflicts are. And then I start writing and I have a general idea, but I'm what they call like when I'm right, you know, when you're driving at night and it's foggy and you turn your bright lights on and you can only see like a little bit in front of you, that's how I write. And I don't recommend it. It's painful. It's horrible. and, And it makes me, you know, crazy. And I've tried to write other ways like where I try to plan more, but the more I plan, the more, like when I start writing, all of a sudden, my brain's like, I, I don't want to do that. We're going over here instead. So all that time you spent doing this outline or whatever, just throw it away. It's not, it doesn't matter. Um, and unfortunately, that's just the way that I write. And um, so, yeah, my endings are always a surprise. <laughs> um, and as a matter of fact, in the, this this new series, when I was writing the um, The Shop on Royal Street, I end like the second chapter, I think, with the sound of breaking glass and a woman screaming. When I started the next chapter, I had no idea what had just happened, who that woman was, why she was screaming. But out of that, I created everybody's favorite secondary character, which is Jolene McKenna, who is the main character, Nola Trenum's best friend. And she just walked on Opened her mouth and I, it's like I've known this woman my whole life. And she does sound a lot like my cousin Gwen, who's from Greenville, Mississippi, you know, Greenwood, Mississippi. So I, I guess, you know, that I hear Gwen's voice, but all the funny mannerisms and everything um, are definitely I, I got from my cousin. But Jolene is just a force of nature and she's the best friend we all need and want. And um, but that's how my books happen. They, just, I just sort of surprise myself. Um, and one of my favorite books, I don't know if you, you've read it, Julie, is the, um, the Time Between. And in it, we have, it's set on Edisto Island, South Carolina. And in it, we have a young woman who's been hired to be a caretaker for an elderly woman. And when she first gets to this old house, um, uh, her her charge is sleeping. So she, you know, what do you do? You just start kind of walking around and, and there's a closed door. And she's by herself. Woman's still sleeping. She opens it. I don't know what's behind that door when she walks in, but through through her eyes, I see the room. It's very sparsely furnished. There's a twin bed. There's a crucifix hanging on the wall, and and the only other piece of furniture is an armoire. And she goes to the armoire, and I see her hand opening, and her hand's my hand, you know, opening this armoire. And, um, it just, you know, there's like two very simple dresses and maybe two pair, very plain shoes. So it's telling you a lot about the occupant of this room. Um, and, and at the top, there's like a mirrored little door with a lock hole, keyhole. And she goes to, and the key's missing and she goes to open it and it's locked. And then she leaves the room. And I forget about that as I write the rest of the book. And then I get towards the end of the book, always, always, always within two weeks of deadline, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't know the answer, I don't know. And that's, there's always a lot of praying going on when I'm finishing a book because I really need divine inspiration at this point. And with that particular book, I remember going to bed, you know, and saying, okay, God, this is, you know, I, you know, I, I need to write these last two chapters. I really, really need some help here. And then when I woke up, I remembered that, that locked door in the armoire and that was the answer. What was inside it was the answer I was looking for. So that's how I write. I can't explain it. I, um, yeah, I, I guess I channel spirit when I write, I don't know. Um, I, I do. I will tell you one thing. And I, I don't mess with Ouija boards. I'm scared to death of them. But I will tell you, when I was in seventh or eighth grade, after I'd read Gone with the Wind, my best friend and I, who read the book at the same time, in the um, girls' locker room, in the gym, in the bathroom of the locker room, we, we did a Ouija board and um, we tried to contact Margaret Mitchell because I really, really wanted her to come through me to write the sequel to Gone with the Wind. <laughs> but that is the only time I've ever messed with the Ouija board, and I will never do it again. And um, so I'm just wondering, you know, who 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 am I channeling here? I don't know. I don't know.
0: Well, the interesting thing about the Ouija board is that the Ouija board was the best-selling Milton Bradley game for I
2: know, but it's not ever. a game. How... I don't even know well,
0: more than Monopoly even. Oh, way better, way more. Oh, and my when, gosh. It, when it got a negative vibe to it was when the Exorcist movie came out, oh. because in the story of the Exorcist, they were playing with a Ouija board. The Ouija board was, oh, I mean, that was a standard that every family had. We had oh, one. Yeah. Wrong oh, we
2: weren't, we weren't allowed to have one, but my friends did, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 So you, it it was really interesting how that tide turned mm-hmm. with the, when the, that was the catalyst because it was, and, and the thing that's so interesting about it, to your point that it's not a game, it's patented. They got a patent on that when they released it. Wow. So you, I have patents for surgical devices. You can't get a patent unless you can prove that the thing works. Wow. So I someday am going to, Research that and see how did they prove that the Ouija board was working? What was involved? And can you imagine the the patent officer at the patent and trademark office going,
2: "You want me to do what? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly." <laughs> and saying, "Uh, yeah, well," and then they granted the patent.
2: Yeah. So wow.
0: I think that wow. speaks volumes for it, and yeah. it's still sold today.
2: Yeah, it, is. it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. So many of your characters along the lines of you channeling these characters. So many of your characters, I feel like I know and I read them and then they stay with me. For instance, The Glass Ocean, I love. I've read that book multiple times and you've got this Sir John Langford Uh who's a character, one of the main characters in there. And every time I think of an English country estate, I think of this character in your book. And I think that's just crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a made up character out of Karen's head. Or is
2: he? Or is he? Or is he? Remember now the glass ocean, because I wrote with two other authors. So the three of us collaborated on the creation of all the characters. So, and I'm not allowed to say who created
0: what. Yeah. But the bottom line is these characters in your books, not from other books though. So that's a differentiator in my mind with your books because I'll read other books and I'll enjoy them, but I can't tell you what the the characters. No,
2: No. I I know what you're saying. It's very rare that I find um, books where the characters, they stay with me. I remember their names um, and most of the story and that just does not happen a lot. So that's a compliment. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so I, I think you absolutely are channeling. And and here's another reason why when I'm doing a past life scan with somebody or talking to a spirit guide or a deceased loved one, what you were describing about seeing the armoire and the crucifix on the wall and all of that, that's what I see. It's like I'm walking into the scene of a movie. Yeah. I feel like I'm Alice... Walking through the Looking Glass and yes, Alice yeah. in Wonderland, and
2: you're filming it all while you're doing because you're exactly making-
0: yeah. and and you're and I'm seeing all of it and and get details like names and things. This morning I was working with a client and she wanted to talk to her main spirit guide. Well, her main spirit guide was a botanist named Jeff Lee, Jeffrey Olson, and I and I got Olson O L S E N, not O N. Uh huh. And yeah. I he was wearing one of those safari. Outfits, you know, with the khaki shirt with lots of pockets with the buttons on them and the whole nine yards and he had on a Indiana Jones kind of a hat uh uh and and stuff like that. We got a lot of information about him. Other things, past lives, same thing. I see these scenes. It's like I see in my mind's eye Mm -hmm. walking into this movie scene. One of my favorite stories is I was working with a client and I got in a past life, she had been a telephone operator in the mid forties at the university of Wisconsin right. where she had gone to school. She graduated and she got a job, you know, that's like world war II era. Right. And, uh, we got, her name was Lucy Johnson, la, 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 got whatever we were supposed to know. Well, she turns around and she calls the alumni office. At the University of Wisconsin in Madison, they send her a copy of a page out of the yearbook in that year with Lucy Johnson's picture wow. in the yearbook, Karen. Wow. wow. I would say, you can't make this stuff no, up. No, no, and agree. the thing that's so fun about the information that I at least get is that oftentimes we can corroborate details with historic documents that we can find online mm-hmm. and so I believe you're channeling all of this stuff and these are actual characters that live. Maybe you're giving them a different name, right. but the fact that you're in there and you're seeing all those scenes and everything, you're channeling this stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. I believe. I believe all writers, all composers, all screenwriters. I know you have times where you'll write something and then you go back and you think, I don't really remember writing that, but this is pretty good.
2: Oh, when I go to book clubs, um, a lot of times there's always one person in the book club who like highlights their favorite lines or whatever. And I was at one, um, it was a while ago, but um, the woman said, oh, I just, this is my favorite line from the whole book. I I wish I could read all of them. There's so many, but here, and she read one and I'm like, did I write that? I mean, that's really good, but did I write that? So obviously I don't have any talent. I'm relying on other people to give me...
0: (laughs) Well, Well, I disagree. I think you have a lot of talent and you have golden ovary courage to put yourself out there and allow that to flow through you. When you were talking about that you woke up and you had this idea about the locked compartment in the armoire, the reason why oftentimes we'll get ideas when we're asleep or right as we're waking is because we all have the vibration of spirit. It's like our factory presetting okay. when we come in and when we're stressed about something or just busy during the day, our vibration lowers, our vibrations lower anyways, just because we have the density of a body. Mm-hmm. I would say it's imagine running an electrical current through a bowl of pudding, kind to right. slow it down. Right. Mm-hmm. And so spirit can communicate to us easier when we've slept a little bit, because our brain relaxes, we're not stressing out about whatever is on our mind when we go to bed. Right. We go back to the factory preset vibration level. Spirit's a high vibration. It, it, it communicates on a high vibration channel. And when you're in fear or when you're stressed out, spirit doesn't communicate on those channels because the vibration is too low. I would say spirit doesn't communicate on the, I feel creppy channels.
2: Right. Right. Or like I I have We're writer's block because I don't, I'm not seeing
0: this. I'm not feeling this. Right. Um, Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So that's, what's going on with that. When you, when you experience that you're writing first person, do you have a writing degree?
2: I do not have a business degree
0: from Tulane. Have you ever heard of cozy earth bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature-regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So, if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth bedding. I love them and so will you. Do you have a writing degree? I do not have a business degree from Tulane.
2: But I've always been an avid reader, Um, as my dad was. My mother was not a reader, but my father was. And so, um, and actually my brother, John, his claim to fame is he's never read a book. (laughs) I can't believe I'm related to him. But, um, but yeah, so I've always loved the written word. um, And I... I, I was a business major just because I knew that whatever I did in life, having a business degree would, I could probably use it. And and I do in my writing world, because this is a business, you know, and the whole marketing aspect, um, especially now, nowadays when authors have to really market themselves in the marketplace, um, has really helped. But, um, you know, and I went to a really great, um, uh, private school, um, uh, high middle school and high school where, um, I mean, they were so, so good at teaching creative writing and just other kinds of writing um, so that I was very prepared by the time I went to college. And even though I was a business major um, at Tulane, you know, the business school is only junior and senior year. So your freshman and sophomore year, you have to take these prerequisites, including creative writing um science, math, all all those kinds of things. Um, and then get a certain, you know, GPA in those to even be able to apply. So I was like very, very conscientious about taking those classes and doing well. But, um, because my, my high school is a college prep curriculum, I was so well prepared for that. And, um, you know, and even my creative, my teachers have always been saying, you should, you should be a writer. And I'd be like, who wants to be a writer? That's like the worst. I mean, look at all those words, all that. I mean, so much time, like, no. Um, Because I learned how to hate to write from elementary school when I would be given a a writing assignment and I'd be, you know, and you have like half an hour to write it. And my handwriting, because I was my story would be so fast in my head, but my handwriting was not able to keep up with it. So my handwriting was horrible, and I'd always get you know A content F, um, um, F in handwriting. You <laughs> know, so I I get very poor marks, and so I learned to hate writing. But I loved stories, creating stories in my head, um, finishing stories of you know I'd read a book, and if I didn't like the ending in my head, I would create the new ending that I liked, and. Um, so I always had the signs that I should be a writer. I just I just resisted it for as long as I could.
0: So you were being led. So they say here in the deep south, you were being led, yeah, darling.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and um and I know everybody wants to know, you know how how did you how did you get published then? If you didn't want it, well, I you know basically in a weak moment, I sat down and wrote that first book because I read Dinah Gabaldon's Outlander. I don't know if you've read it. It's an amazing book. Amazing amazingly talented author and um, I've read some of the other books in the series as well, but that was the first one that got me. And I, 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 it spoiled me for any other book after I read that, I guess, and the other ones that were published in the series at the time, which might've been only four, cause this is early nineties. And um, I couldn't pick up another book to read. And I basically, you know, would hear the ghost of my sixth grade teacher, Mrs. Anderson saying, you should write, you should be a writer. And I'd be like, oh, well, if I can't pick up another book to read, I might as well just try to write the kind of book that I'd want to read. So that's what happened. And that was my first book.
0: You were being led. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And and screaming and digging in my heels. Well, yeah, but then you have the courage to, okay, let's go ahead and do it. And then you had the courage to send it to a an editor or a publisher or an agent or I
2: entered it into a contest because if you were finalist in that particular writing contest, Diana Gabaldon would give you a written critique. So not only did I win the contest and get the written critique, but I also got the, um, the finalist judge was a New York literary agent and she offered to represent me. So that's how that all started. Not that it's Mm -hmm. all been, you know, um, Um, What is it? Something in roses um, ever since, you know, of course, you know, like every career it's like this, but um, that's how I started.
0: Yeah. Well, and people would say, oh my gosh, serendipity at work. Isn't that a coincidence? Well, there is no coincidence there. Did you read Nancy Drew mysteries as a girl? please. Of course.
2: (laughs) Nancy Drew is my idol. And I've heard uh, my, um, my series, uh, both of them um, have been called uh, Nancy Drew for Adults. So, and I, that's like, I take that that's the highest compliment. So
0: uh, I think yours are way better, but I'm biased. <laughs> well, All they right.
2: were written for a different audience and at a different time. But yeah, Nancy Drew will always have that special place in my heart.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's fun that you went to Tulane too, because New Orleans, oh yeah, Southern, mm-hmm. historic, Lots of ghosts. And that's why I picked
2: it. The beautiful architecture, the old houses, the history. Um, I wasn't, I didn't know about the flying cockroaches back then, or I might've like picked something else. But um, uh, yeah, it was really the perfect spot for me. And my parents, because my dad was with Exxon's and he kind of lived all over the world. And at the time they were living in, they were living in London when I was a freshman and they wanted me to go somewhere in the South because that's where we had family. So if I ever needed, since they were so far away, if I ever needed, you know, family nearby, I needed to go to school in the South. So that, that had something to do with me picking New Orleans, but, um, and (laughs) Also, again, you know the the stupid things that 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 make you help you meet you to make a decision. So back in the day, remember when um, airlines used to give out decks of cards? So we had a deck of cards from Delta. I mean, we we even had some from Pan Am, and I mean, oh, we have tons of stuff. But um, it was from Delta, and it had uh, the backs of the cards were uh, scenes from New Orleans. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, okay, that sounds good. You know, and they've accepted me. Why not? You know, um, it seemed a lot more exciting than um, Nashville, um, Vanderbilt in Nashville. And what was the other one? Um, One in San Antonio, Texas, and then another in Virginia. And uh, I guess because of those
0: cards, you
2: know, I'm like, well, that looks
0: like a cool place. <laughs> Why not? Well, you, were, you were led there again. I, I love New Orleans so much. My 40th birthday party was there. Oh. And I had nine of my best girlfriends flew in from all over the country. And oh, we far. were there for the weekend. Oh my gosh, the stories sure. I can tell you. I it bet. was just a blast. We had so much fun doing that. On Folly Beach is another one of my favorite Karen White books. And uh, please tell everybody a little bit about the story.
2: Wow. So that one came out a while ago. I have to. So it's basically the story of um, two women who never meet, but they are connected um, by a bookstore they have both owned in different time periods. Um, One of them during the war, World War II. And, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Folly Beach is on the South Carolina coast and and then the other is modern day. And we have, uh, she is a war widow, her, widow. her husband has been um, killed in Afghanistan and she's young. And so we have that, you know, being being widowed by a war, um, whether you're the actual widow or you just know someone who has um, uh, been lost due to war. Um and there's also the the bottle trees. Um everybody wants to know about the bottle trees. That's a big theme in this book. That's um uh people put little hopes and wishes in in into the bottles of the bottle tree. And that came, that's a Mississippi Delta thing that I got from my mom. It didn't really originate in South Carolina, but now apparently in Folly Beach there are a lot of bottle trees. I guess <laughs> <laughs> I read my book. But um, but going back to sort of the the um the The story itself: um, the modern-day owner of the bookstore um, finds um, a book that had belonged to the woman from the owner from 1940s, and she opens she opens the book, and there are these sort of cryptic messages written in the margins, and that opens this lovely Pandora's box into um, murder um, and things you know, from um uh, the 1940s and the war. So um so it's a love story. It's um it's a story of forgiveness and redemption and uh I, I, I loved writing that book and that was a book that it just you know it wrote itself. I mean I was channeling these characters um and very you know heart wrenching but heartwarming um as well um and and my endings I have to say you know I I I do want to make you cry and laugh during the book, but I want you to sigh with satisfaction at the end. I'm not, I would never have been an Oprah pick because I don't believe that after reading one of my books, you should want to jump in front of a train because that's just not the kind of book I enjoy reading. So that's not what it, you know, I, I I will drag your emotions over the coals, you know, and, and not everybody will survive the journey. Um, But at the end, I can guarantee that my main characters will always, they will be alive. (laughs) The main character will always be alive. Um, And she will have learned something um, and be in a better place
0: mentally, physically, and or spiritually. So um, yeah. Oh, I, I love that book. And I, those bottle brush, those bottle trees. Yeah. Is that what you call them? Bottle trees. Mm-hmm. Aren't they supposed to like what they are the old fashioned Coke bottles and stuff like that? A lot of times they're blue. Well, and- they're
2: blue because, you know, um, so it, it originally comes from the, um, I can't remember the, the African slaves from a, a particular uh, country in Africa. And I, I'm, I apologize. I can't, cause it's been a while since I wrote it, but. Um, they were the ones that brought that from Africa, that whole, you know, capturing spirits, you put these spirit bottles outside your house so that they won't get into the house. Um, And then I guess, you know, just um, after they came to the United States, then it became a bottle and blue symbolizes like blue attracts paints, as they call them. Um, that's why you'll see uh, ceiling porches, um, the, the porch ceilings in the South painted paint blue because it's supposed to repel spirits um, or something like that. But um, yeah, so not every bottle tree has to have blue bottles. Mine does. Um, but it, it became, there's actually, even after my book came out, there's a little article in the Wall Street Journal and they didn't mention my book or me by name but they said um landscapers are saying that all over the northeast you know they're being asked um to install bottle trees in the gardens that they are designing um all due to a uh, to a book you know that they that whoever read i'm like oh couldn't they have mentioned my name you
0: know but. exactly and they make a they make a whistling sound or like a uh, you know like a um, the wind
2: catches it yeah wind catches and then, okay. it sound
0: there's a bunch of them around here they're all oh, yeah. over. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah, in the south. Yeah. I yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Not Sweet. all of them because of my book, but in Sweet Home, Alabama, there's a bunch of them there. Is there? Okay. Oh yeah. Right. So I have a fun story about that. In Folly Beach, it has to do with World War Two, has to do with the Germans. Mm-hmm. Has to do with U-boats.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: along the coast. Well, I didn't know there were U-boats. Oh, I didn't either.
2: When I started this book, I just, I had no idea that would be one of the main plots until I was researching something else to do with the book. And I came across um, the uh, the story of Nazi spies um, making landfall in, um, in Long Island and um, Jacksonville. Like nobody knew that U-boats could make it across the ocean and it was very hush hush. And, um, and even when um, uh, ships were being sunk by U-boats along our coast, the government, our government did not put any of that in the in the paper because they were afraid, uh, you know, that there would be like, you know, mass panic. Um, but that's also why it, we had so many casualties because, um, like, um, supply ships and everything else, they would go in the Gulf stream, which meant they had to hug the the coastline. Well, and then we have these brightly lit cities, right? So those ships, you know, and at night up against, you know, there are these blatant shadows against the bright lights of the city. They made them perfect targets. And we lost so many merchant ships and supply ships and, and, and all sorts of things because um, uh, you know, the government, you know, didn't want to make people panic. Um, and it was only until they decided, you know, we're killing, we're, we're losing a lot of ships and people we need. And, you know, and then people would wake up on the coast in South Carolina and in North Carolina, and there would be, you know, obviously there'd been some kind of, you know, Ship destroyed because there would be woods and, and you know, uh, boards and bodies and, supply and all you know, washed up on shore. So finally the government had to say, yeah, well, actually, U-boats can get across the ocean, so you might want to turn out your lights.
0: Yeah, and I've met many people in Mobile and, and on the Gulf Coast that are elderly huh? that lived during that time. And mm-hmm. it was complete blackout, like you see right. in right. the European depictions, you know, during the war and all of that. So it
2: just, it just took us a little longer to catch on.
0: Well, I think they suppressed everything, to your point. They didn't talk about it in the press at all, and the government at that point, people say, well, the government had a lot of control. Well, I think they have a lot of control now, because we're finding that a lot of stuff is suppressed on different topics, too. But a couple of points on that. I didn't know anything about that either until I went to Montgomery, Alabama, on a field trip with Jonathan when he was in the fourth grade. And I heard about that for the first time. And I thought, well, they didn't teach that in Yankee history in
2: Ohio. I didn't learn that. in. And I had wonderful history classes and history teachers. And we learned everything about everything. Not that. That just blew my mind. And when you read the story about the saboteurs and you realize, again, that was sort of a God gift because the guys were idiots. The mistakes they made were, it was like the Three Stooges came aboard. And these were Nazi spies who had been trained for years. And then they make, you know, then it's the Three Stooges, you know, just doing the the most ridiculously dumb things to get caught. And they were all caught like within days of landing, which is just... You know, even though they had years of preparation, it truly, if you, if you know, if you love history like I do, just look up, you know, the Nazi saboteurs and just read it, read about it. It truly is fascinating.
0: Well, I had a woman call into my show several years ago, and her family for multiple generations have a home near Apalachicola, which uh, is yeah. a panhandle mm-hmm. of Florida up there mm-hmm. in the Gulf. And she said, this home is haunted. So can you scan it? This is on my show. And so I get, you know, I connect to him. I get it in my mind's eye and I'm describing, okay, it's this big front porch. You walk in the front door, there's a parlor or a living room to the left and it's full of a party. It looks like a cocktail party. And I said, the men are dressed in military uniforms, you know, like officer uniforms. And the women are dressed in 1940s attire. They've got suits, skirts on and all this kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is interesting. And then I saw a maid and I saw a little dog and I saw some other stuff. And she said, well, interestingly enough, during World War II, my family was not allowed to come here for three years because the U.S. government, the the Defense Department took over the home and officers lived there. Okay. And I said to her, well, yeah, I, I didn't know about the U-boats, the German submarines that were off the coast of Florida and Georgia and Alabama and, you know, Mississippi and all right. of that, let alone going up the East Coast. Right. And she said, yeah, one sunk right in front of the property and it's still down at the bottom of the ocean. And so I, thought- I know, and
2: nobody knows this stuff. It's unbelievable. And, and um, I found out by accident because while I was writing the book, I mean, I'd already started, I had no idea that there would be Nazis in this book. I had no idea when I started. Um, but while I was writing it, my oldest brother um, was getting married in the Outer Banks. And um, we were taking a tour, my family, my husband and my two children and I were taking a tour because um, I'm all about history and we were at the lighthouse and the Cape Hatteras lighthouse and the tour guide casually mentions the, um, uh, the U boat that was sunk like w- close by, you know, and you can scuba dive to it. You know, you can't, the water's pretty dark and murky, but it's still there. And I'm like, like, like a Disney thing, like for scuba divers that they just sunk so you could go. It's like, no, no, like an actual. one. I'm like, like from World War II. I mean, I had no idea. And and then I went home and I started researching and I found out that they were all over the place. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to put that in Folly Beach. And right. that's how that happened.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Perfect. I loved it. So that's probably one of the reasons why I remember Folly Beach so much too, is because I had that experience of this home near Apalachicola. And the woman has told me that I can come visit it. She said, we'd love to have you come down and tell us who's in yes. there and the spirits you need, and read, that.
2: you need to read my book, Flight Patterns, because it's set in Apalachicola. And they okay. had me stay in a haunted inn when I was there. It was amazing.
0: Okay. All right. I'll do that. Maybe I'll take you with me. That oh, would be fun. I'd love to. Yeah. You've written several series. Why?
2: Why not? <laughs> you know, I, I I think with any, I, I mean, I mean, you've had so many, you've worn, worn so many different, you know, hats. And I think no matter what you do, whatever career you choose, you always want to sort of, you know, you want to stay on your game. You always want to like challenge yourself. So I've done the series, you know, I've done collaboration. I I did a, um, what you may call it an anthology um so yeah i guess it was just really to um just switch it up a little bit um and there's something really fun um and and i i suspected it would be and and as i've written now in my second series it's absolutely true um to have that con- continuation because when you write a book it's you know what 450 pages you know, you mourn a little bit for these characters. You miss them. It's like you've said goodbye to these best friends and you're never going to see them again, you know? Whereas whenever I finish one of my series books, writing them, I know that it's not goodbye. It's just, I'll see you later, you know? And and that's just, it's it's a wonderful feeling, especially when you love these characters as much as I do.
0: Absolutely. Well, I felt that way about Downton Abbey. Yes! When the second movie came out we yes. watched it in our media room at home and my husband was watching it, and I had tears coming down. They're still here. Yes. No, oh absolutely.
2: Gosh. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I, and the characters are the same with that. So your attention to detail is so superb. I mean, it is just over the top. What goes into your research when you're, writing a book and you've already mentioned that you figure it out as you go. So do you say, okay, well, I'm going to go in this direction. And then you, you halt and you go research stuff or how to, what's the technique that you use? What have you developed over the years for that?
2: Well, um, like let's take Apalachicola. Okay. So, um, I actually have a beach house, not maybe about an hour away from Apalachicola, um, in Florida. And, um, so when I decided on Apalachicola, and, and the reason for that decision was basically, I, I met an artist who had written, uh, written, had painted a series of paintings about the um, dyeing industries in the United States, and she had spent a lot of time in Apalachicola sketching um, the, net, the net makers, because um, it's a big fishing and oyster, I um, think is it the oyster capital of the world? And... Um, And I was just, you know, and it was on the Gulf Coast and I knew it wasn't that far from me. So once I pick the setting, I'll start like buying books so I can mostly coffee table books so I can like get an idea and then some history books I can kind of, because I love history. I want to try to weave in as much of the history as I can. And um, I went and visit, I go and visit. And I take lots of pictures and I sort of get a feel for the place, like how it smells, you know, what, 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 you know, when you're walking, what does, what does the ground look like? What do the buildings look like? Um, Where would my character live? If she lived here, you know, what would she see out of her bedroom window? So I can really, you know, become first person, you know, see it through my character's eyes. Um, And then I start writing and anything I don't know, like, um, and again, I, I'm very visual. So when I write and I start to channel, I see the story. I don't, you know, I, I, as I'm, I'm not looking at the words on my screen. I'm seeing the story as it, as it appears into my eyes. Um, And I will fill in as many details as I can. And then a lot of times I'll um, put little asterisks so that I know when I go back and and clean up that chapter. I know there are things I need to look at and the way I write is very layered. You know, I'll, I'll write like a few chapters and then I'll go back and layer, you know, more detail in, and then I'll let it. it's like, it's like a sculpture, you know, you have this big lump of clay and then you have to keep on going back and you, you, you know, give it more, um, delineation, I guess. And that, that's just how I write. So, um, lots of asterisks, um, and I make sure that I have enough, you know, um, information in front of me so I can look it up. And like in flight patterns, something, oh, I went to a restaurant. Was it? Or I was reading a book or something where it had um, the name of the pub was in French, it was the Bee, And I thought, oh, hmm. And what if we could do something with bees in this book? So I started, you know, I got everything, uh, every book I ever needed to know about bees. And so there are beekeepers in the book. And, um, um, oh, I talk about learning so much. I just, I was fascinated with bees after that. And so then I, you know, and then, then I decided bees are so fascinating. Above each chapter, I have a little, it's, um, it's a fake uh, journal of the the grandfather of the main character, who's a beekeeper and uh, a journal about beekeeping. And so I would put all these interesting facts that sort of had something to do with what was coming in the chapter. So, so yeah, it's very much this organic process. And I, um, I try not to do too much research ahead of time. Um, just it's more as a need to know basis because if I spent time doing all the research before I wrote the book, I would never write the book. And I find that, um, I find things serendipitously, you know, like the whole Nazi, you know, thing that was completely, you know, by accident. So I, I, I try not to, um, I try not to know too much going in, but I need to know what I don't know, if that makes sense. But I won't know what I don't know until I start writing.
0: Well, and you're you're getting information from spirit again. You're being led. That's how it works. I had a guy a couple of days ago who's a client and we were talking with his deceased dad who was whose spirit was in heaven. And I said, he's showing me walnuts and walnut trees and walnut groves. Does that mean anything to you? And he started laughing and he said, yeah, I I grew up in Walnut Creek, California in a neighborhood that had been all walnut groves and we had walnut trees all throughout our property. Oh, wow. Well, so that spirit giving me information to relay to him to let the son know that that's really his dad with Mm -hmm. whom we're talking. Mm -hmm. And that's how it works. When I was writing my book, Angelic Attendance, and I talk about what happens as somebody's dying, there's a vortex that forms that the spirit goes through that separates the spirit from the body. And it reminded me, I saw this picture of a giant owl with its wings moving. It reminded me of that. Mm -hmm. But it felt more like when you go through the drive-through and at the end, the dryer's on it, it's sucking all the water off your car. Right, right. So I'm writing the book and I'm I'm inspired, I'm led to just look up wing vortex drag. It's like an owl's wings drag. Come to find out there's this thing called the wingtip vortex that forms underneath the wings of anything that flies, whether it's a jet or a bird or a plane or a bug or whatever. Yes. There are billions of wingtip vortex aeronautical engineering drawings and articles online. I had no idea. So you're being led as I was in that instance, you're being led to the next step and the next step and the next step. Mm -hmm. So how wonderful, wonderful. What's your next book? Tell us about it. When's it coming out?
2: Oh boy. So, um, I've got, there's several, um, so the one, the, and I can't, can't tell you much about any of them. Um, so there will be the third book in this the new series uh, the royal street series doesn't have a title because it's not written yet it's due june 1st so i better start um, it will be out in 2025 so people who like to read you know series just know that it's coming um i just finished another collaboration with lauren willing and beatrice williams and that is that title is on super secret hold but those, it those out- books
0: are fabulous. Those, thank you, triumvirate. Holy mother, I I've read all of them, and they are all just superb, just thank superb.
2: And, and I think it, it's like a spiritual thing when we write together because honestly, I don't know how we do it. I I don't know how we do it. We don't we don't know how we do it. It just it just flows so seamlessly, and when we create these stories, it's it's we call it magic. We call it the special sauce that we can't identify. Um, but we just finished one um, in March and it will be out in September of 2024 so um yeah very excited about that and then I'm currently in negotiations uh, contract negotiations for another um, uh, single title which um, not to give away too much i it's 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 not part of a series but I I do believe we might be headed back to a familiar location charles so, um, so yeah, I'm very excited to get started on that one.
0: And the house on Britannia, that book.
2: Yes. That uh, comes out March 9th, excuse me, May, May 9th. 9th. It's another month with MA, but March is already had May 9th. So yes, less than a month. So I'm very, yeah. Excited.
0: Yeah. And aren't you doing some big whoop de doo thing for the book launch sure. in New Orleans?
2: Yes, we are. It's, um, and tickets are still for sale. Um, and it is, it's called Karen White's crew. <laughs> But it's basically, it's all, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's all curated. There's going to be private tours of old haunted houses, ghost stories, um, tours of St. Louis Cathedral by the the wife of the saint owner. Very excited to meet her. Um, there's going to be live jazz, um, brunch at the bookstore garden district bookstore. And of course your tickets come with a signed copy of the house on Britannia. Um, and by the way, the bookstore is on Britannia street in New Orleans, um, and a whole bunch of, you know, fun stuff, um, like that. And, oh, uh, also tours through, uh, one of the cemeteries, the above ground cemeteries, um, all by uh, professional um storytellers and um tour tour guides. So I'm very excited. Um I'm probably more excited than any of the attendees. <laughs> so um, and of course, you're gonna be in New Orleans where the food is fabulous and it's gonna be May, so the weather will not be horrendous.
0: So Good. and so how do people find you? How do they find out about that event? How do they, how do they learn about all of your work. It's so fabulous. You guys, I'm telling you, just Thanks. pick up one of Karen's books. You will be hooked for life and you got 32 to go through. So, Yeah,
2: right, right. Um, so the best way to start, um, and I, I I, am on social media too, but you can find those links on my um, homepage, which is karen-white.com.
0: karen-white.com. All right, thank you so much for taking the time to thank be you with for us.
2: Everything. I so appreciate it. That went so fast. But I, I hope I answered all your questions. You had a lot of really great ones. So. you did.
0: I have many more, so we'll have to have you back. Everybody's sending you lots of love from Sweet Home Alabama. And Atlanta too. Karen's yes. in Atlanta. Thank so, you so much. Thanks everybody. See all you right. soon. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit askjulieryan.com.